Well, good morning, DBC. It is great to be back with you guys one more time, even if it's just online. But I hope everybody's doing great and you're staying safe and you're staying sane. Getting a little stir crazy at home myself, but uh, I cannot wait to be back with you guys, hopefully sometime in the near future, where we can gather together again and worship together in this place. But I do love you guys and miss you a whole lot. And if you're one of our guests and you're tuned in maybe for the first time at Easter and you've come back again this week, just want to say welcome to you. And I'm just very grateful that you chose to come back and worship with us again one more time. Uh, I want to let you know we meant it last week when we said that we would love to engage with you further with any questions or any doubts that you may have. They would be welcome here at this place. I do hope and pray we have an opportunity to meet one day and to be able to have some of these conversations. But in the meantime, if you do connect with us a little bit further, there is a question mark you're going to notice on your screen right there. If you're tuning in through our website, then uh, there's a question mark you can click on at any time. And that's going to immediately connect you with one of our ministers. They would love to talk with you, answer any questions that you may have about the sermon or about the church or faith in general. Uh, but that would immediately connect you with one of the ministers. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to do that, and that's a great way that you can do that. If you need specific prayer today, uh, there's notice that prayer, uh, that prayer button at the bottom of your screen. You can always click on that. And again, we're going to get those prayer requests, and we are praying constantly for our church up here, and we'd love to be able to do that with you as well. You're also going to notice a little button on there that says, I have committed my life to Jesus Christ today. And I don't want to take for granted that God has been stirring in your soul already through this pandemic. And he has been leading you to relationship with him. And if that's you, I just want to say today is the day to place your faith in him, to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. If you would like to do that at any time during this message, anytime afterwards or even in conversation with us, please let us know. You can just click that button. Again, we will connect with you. We'd love to follow up with you and then help you engage in this new relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, do not delay that decision any longer. And I'm hoping and praying that some of you would make that decision today. Well, again, uh, this morning, I want to keep going with where we picked up last week and talking about some of the implications of the resurrected Jesus Christ, specifically how it is that the resurrection helps us navigate through this stormy season that we find ourselves in today. Now, if you guys have been living in Texas for any amount of time, you already know that April and May happens to be two of the rainiest seasons of the year for us here in Texas. This is how it is. And I think for, for most of us, like, I'm, I'm okay with a little bit of rain. I love rain. Rain is fantastic. We need it on the lawns and everything. I'm great with a little bit of rain, but I think that most of us can agree that storms are another story. I mean, I'll never forget years ago, back when we were in college, uh, a buddy of mine went out to Galveston Bay to do a little bit of shark fishing with his dad. And as, as I've shared with you guys before in the past, I happen to be the world's worst fisherman. I'm a cursed fisherman. I never catch anything, which is great for the animals, terrible for the fishermen. And uh, this day that we were out there fishing was no different. We were in the middle of the bay. We were, we were out there all day long trying to catch things. And I can't even catch things in the middle of the ocean. But uh, we were kind of bored. And my buddy and his girlfriend, who happened to be with us that day, they decided that they wanted to jump in the ocean and do a little swimming. Uh, keep in mind, we're shark fishing right now. Who does that? Who goes, who's like, okay, I'm going to jump in the ocean while we're doing some shark fishing. But I guess that's how much confidence that they had that they would be safe since I was with them in the boat doing the fishing. But either way, they decided to jump in and do a little bit of swimming. And uh, while they're out there swimming, his dad and I are kind of keeping an eye on things, making sure everybody's okay, there's no accidents or anything like that. And I start noticing, like, there are these clouds that start rolling in in the sky, fast and dark and heavy, like, I just wouldn't believe. And we start looking at this thing, and just keep in mind, this is before iPhones, this is before we all had the apps that do up-to-the-minute weather updates and alerts and things of that nature. We had newspapers back then. Those are, if you're not familiar with newspapers, black and white paper that you read every single day. 
and uh, they're doing the best that they can to predict how the weather's going to hit you, and you don't know what that, Houston is about an hour-long drive across. You don't know where that's going to hit you or anything like that. And so like, that's what we had to go on that day. So we were taken by surprise, and we're watching these clouds roll in, and these are heavy, heavy clouds. So I go to the edge of this boat, and I start yelling at my buddy. I'm like, guys, you guys, y'all got to come on in. I don't know what's happening here. Y'all have got to come in. And I'm not kidding you. As soon as they come to the edge of the boat and I pull the last one in, like these clouds unleash on us like you would not believe. I mean, we're talking like sheets of rain left and right, to the, the kind of rain where you can barely see what's going on in front of you. You don't know exactly where you're going. I mean, there's thunder, there's lightning all around us. And keep in mind, like we are in the middle of the ocean in a tiny little fishing boat, right? We're not out there in this giant yacht or this cruise liner or a big giant secure fishing boat. We're talking a little tiny fishing boat in the middle of the ocean. And those waves are tossing us back left and right. We're up and down getting sick and everything else. It took us forever to get back to dry land. And so I'm great with a little bit of rain. Storms are a different story. Like storms are terrifying. Because storms have this way of keeping you in a place of fear for a really, really long time. And so church, like how do we navigate this stormy season that we find ourselves in right now. I mean, I told you last week, this is one of the main questions that people are asking today. They want to know, like, where in the world is God in the middle of this pandemic? Where in the world is God in the middle of this financial storm that I find myself in right now? Where is God in the middle of my marital storm that's come about because of this financial storm and some of the other other things that are taking place in the home? Like, why in the world would an all-good and an all-loving, all-powerful God not do more about the storms that we find ourselves in today. We told you again last week, this is the main question that our students are asking today as we're following up and we're saying, okay, how, is this being, how are you being impacted by what's, what's taking place? Like, this is one of the main questions that they're, that they're having and that they're asking. Parents, if you want to follow up with your kids, this is a fantastic conversation to be having right now. But church, when you're talking about nearly 30,000 lives that have been lost in the past couple months in America alone, I mean, we're talking about heavy, heavy stuff. 14 million jobs lost by the end of the summer is the projection. We're talking about small businesses that are shutting down left and right. And, and, and you got to understand, every time that you read these articles about the st- statistics and the different numbers and the things that are going on, you've got to understand that these are very real stories that are on the other side of these numbers. We're talking about very real people in and around Dallas Bible Church, in and around our community that we are talking to and engaging with, people who have lost their mom to this virus. We're talking about people who are grieving the loss of an uncle and grandparents here. People have said uh, goodbye to a dream that they had at their small business. People are shutting down shop. People with massive decrease in the amount of money that they're getting in every single month. People who should be retiring right now that are not able to retire. And so we're talking about very, very real people. And granted, not every single one of us are being impacted in the exact same way. However, this is the question that most of us are asking right now. Like, how in the world do we navigate these storms that we find ourselves in today? And so that's what I want to get at in our text this morning. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 27. We're going to pick it up in verse 18, and we're going to go all the way through verse 32. Uh, Again, if you didn't bring your Bible, it's easy for you to grab right now. Uh, But I will be putting it up on the screen, so it'll be easy for you to follow along with. But again, Acts chapter 28, I'm sorry, 27, starting in verse 18 through 32. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, um, what you need to understand is the story picks up immediately after, after the resurrection, and it's going to show us everything that happened historically because Jesus walked out of the tomb alive, and everything that's now possible for us because of the reality of the resurrection. 
And so as you read this book, a great way to think about it is these are the acts of the Holy Spirit, which has come in response to the empty tomb. It's the acts of the Holy God Spirit working through the acts of the apostles and the acts of the early church to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. Like that's what this entire book is all about. And so when we get to chapter 27, we're going to pick up about 25 years after the resurrection. So at this point in time, churches have been planted uh, all around that part of the world. Uh, we, we're seeing about tens of thousands of different conversions. The Apostle Paul is one of the foremost evangelists and church planters in the, in the world at that time, still to the, in the world to this day. He's already had three successful missionary journeys. But you ha- what you have to understand is for the past three years of his life at this point in time, it's been one metaphorical storm after another for him. And so he's already been imprisoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's already been tortured and ridiculed and abused repeatedly over and over and over again. And right now there's an active plot uh, by really, really powerful people to take his life. And so when chapter 27 comes in, uh, Paul is still in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has appealed his case before Caesar. And so what's happened is they've thrown him in the middle of this ship with 200 other criminals that are all on their way to Rome to go visit Caesar and to have their cases appealed before him. And so it's there in the middle of the ship that Paul encounters this very literal storm in the middle of this metaphorical stormy season that he's found himself in. So I want you to notice how Dr. Luke describes it here as he writes about it starting in verse 18. He says this, he says, We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. That's how bad this storm had become. When neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. In other words, these, are, these people are completely hopeless. They think they're going to pass away. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and this loss. In other words, like I told you so, which is, kids, probably the worst thing that you could possibly say in this situation. Nevertheless, he continues in verse 22 with a little encouragement. And he says, Now, I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, he stood beside me and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen exactly as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, on the 14th night, in other words, two weeks of being in the middle of the storm in the middle of the sea, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed that we were approaching land. They took soundings, and they found that the water was about 120 feet deep. A little while later, they took soundings again, and they found that it was only 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, and they prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower uh, some anchors from the bow. And then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers who were keeping guard, unless these men stay with the ship, you will not be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes and they held the lifeboat and they let it drift away. Now I want to stop right there because I want you to think for a second of how difficult that must have been to let go of the one thing that you're looking around here and you're thinking, this is the one thing that's actually going to be able to save our lives. I mean, church, that's exactly what's taking place right here. I mean, I mean, a lifeboat's job is to save people's life. 
And, and Paul's coming in in the middle of this thing, and he's saying, fellas, okay, you're going to need to let go of the one thing that you actually believe is going to save your life in the middle of this storm, because unless you stay in the sinking ship, you will not be saved. Church, there, there's two survival keys I want to talk about here, but the big idea of this is that you and I have got to embrace the paradox of responsibility when you and I are in the middle of this storm. It's exactly what we're going to see Paul do beginning in verse 22. But Paul immediately explains that an angel of the Lord has already promised them safety. He said, no one will be lost, and God has graciously agreed, agreed to save the lives of everyone who's sailing on this ship. Like, that's the promise that the angel came and he made. Everyone aboard this ship is going to be safe. However, in verse 30, He's going to tell these sailors who are trying to bail on everybody else, he's going to say, unless you stay with the ship, you will not be saved. And so which one is it, church? Like, is God going to keep everyone safe? Or do the sailors, the only people who know how to steer this boat and to drive this boat in the middle of the storm, do they need to remain on this boat and steer people to safety in order to be safe? Or maybe you're seeing the tension that's going on right here. There's another one in Acts chapter 2, but this is just after Pentecost has taken place, meaning that the Holy Spirit has come and has filled every believer. That's a different sermon for a different day. But Pentecost has just taken place, and Peter's beginning to preach the gospel for the very first time. And so he starts preaching, and he starts talking about how Jesus was delivered over to die according to the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. And so that sounds fantastic. In other words, what he's saying is, like, none of what happened to Jesus was an accident. None of it took him by surprise. Uh, none of it was circumstantial or things that took place. Like, every single bit of what happened with Jesus was according to the predetermined plan of God and the foreknowledge of God. However, a little bit later on in the sermon, he continues to say that the ones who killed Jesus, they did it with wicked and with godless hands. So again, church, like, which, which one is it? Was Jesus killed by wicked and godless hands? Or was he put to death according to the predetermined plan of God and the foreknowledge of God? Like, this is what Tim Keller is calling the paradox of responsibility. And what he says right here is that the problem with the paradox of responsibility is that most of us are either or kind of people. Either God is totally and completely in, in control of every minutia, every bit of detail in the world today, or I am in total and complete in control of everything that takes place. And, of course, like, that's going to create a whole brand new set of problems in addition to the storm that we find ourselves in. Because if you and I believe that, that God is the great puppet master in the sky who is pulling every little string, including the decisions to sin, including our decisions to rebel and things of that nature, if we believe that he's the one who is totally and completely in control of every little detail, including our rebellion and things like that, then a lot of us are going to fundamentally believe that we can just sit back, take it easy, kick our feet up on, kick our feet up on the coffee table and things like that, and then not really take responsibility for anything. Like, if things don't go well or how you would ultimately like, then, well, no big deal because it's God's fault. I'm just going to blame him. My marriage goes to crud. It falls apart. Well, God did that to me. Like, my kids decide to run wild. Well, Lord, what in the world are you doing to me? Why in the world are you making my kids run wild on this thing? Like, so we're going to blame him, and we're going to feel justified when we walk away from the faith because God's the one that's pulling every detail of every little string in the world today. The flip side of this paradox is that if you and I function, you and I live like everything is dependent upon us, like everything is up to me, then we're going to be stressed out and anxious people all the time. We're going to rarely listen to the Holy Spirit. We're rarely, if ever, going to take time to pray and ask God what he would have us do in the middle of this storm. We're rarely going to listen to his advice where he may be specifically leading us in the middle of this storm. And you and I are going to be just like these sailors. We're going to grab that lifeboat and we're going to do whatever it takes to make something happen in our world. 
And what Paul's showing us here in the middle of this section right here is that there is a paradox of responsibility that you and I have to embrace in the middle of the storm. Yes, God is absolutely, totally, and completely always in control of every single storm that we find ourselves in. However, at the exact same time, we have responsibility in every single choice that we make. It matters. And the reason we need to go down this path here is because, like, when you and I are in the middle of a storm, like, there is nothing more practical and nothing more helpful than to embrace this paradox. I mean, I mean, don't miss that in verse 27, like, they've been caught in a storm for two weeks in a row. Like, no sun, no, no moonlight, no stars in the sky. They've been caught in a storm for nearly two weeks. However, Paul's not panicked. And at the exact same time, he's also not passive in the entire thing. You want to know why he's like that? It's because he's embraced this paradox. I mean, that's what's going on. Think about this, church. Like, if you know the God who's in control is also the one who is with you in the middle of this storm, then what in the world is there to panic about? And the flip side also, like, on top of that, if you know that the God who's in control has also given you responsibility in the middle of this storm, then why in the world will we be passive? And why in the world will we be careful with you about some of the decisions that we choose to make? I mean, church, if you know that you have responsibility, then why would you let the only sailors who know how to sail the ship, why would you let them bail on a lifeboat? It doesn't make any wise sense in the middle of that time. Like I'm telling you, church, that there's nothing more practical than to embrace this paradox in the middle of a storm. If you know that you've got responsibility, then why in the world will we disregard the medical advice of professionals who are telling us that the way to slow down the spread of this pandemic is to stay inside, right, and to practice social distancing, right, and, and to not cross these barriers and to not continue to meet physically as a church body uh, to, to the demise and to the blat for the blatant disregard of the well-being of other people. Like, why in the world would we do that if we know that we've got responsibility? Why would we refuse to be a people that plan for a rainy day and say things like, well, God's just always going to take care of it in the end? Like, why would we do that if we know that, yes, God is totally and completely in control? However, at the exact same time, he has given you and I responsibility in the middle of these storms. I love the way Chuck Swindoll talks about this, but he says life is about 10% of what happens to you and about 90% of how you choose to respond in the moment. And granted, like, I, I can't really speak to the percentages of that or anything like that, but church, it just seems to be what we're seeing here in this section. Like there is peace with Paul instead of panic right now. And he's being proactive instead of being passive. And church, some of us are, you need to be able to see this because right now you are in the middle of a massive financial storm in your life. And there is nothing more practical and helpful than understand that he is totally and completely in control right now. And so you and I need to be on our knees praying. We need to be saying, God, you are the one who's in control of this thing. Father, would you come in? You're the one who, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right, you're the one who makes it rain. Father, would you make it rain upon me and my family right now? Father, would you come and would you provide for us in ways when we can't provide for ourselves? And at the exact same time that you pray, you pray with this understanding that at some point in the very near future, he may be calling you to step up and to get off your knees and to start walking by faith and to polish off that resume and start knocking down some doors to see what he may want to open up for you or to be able to stand up and to be able to fill out a benevolence request here at the church and to say, church, like I actually need a little bit of help. And here's the reality, church. Some of us are very, very comfortable people on our knees. We love the prayer closet. We'll pray about him. We'll pray about everything. And we'll always be on our knees. However, the problem that we have is that we're not so great when it comes to standing up and walking by faith and taking responsibility for the things that he's given us responsibility in. Others of us, we're on, we're on the other side of this thing. Like, we're comfortable knocking down doors. I love pulling myself up by, the, by my bootstraps. 
I love taking the bull by the horns. I love doing things and taking responsibility. I love being a responsible person. Like, that's what we do. This is what we do. Some of us are fantastic at knocking, knocking down doors and solving problems in our life. But the reality is we've forgotten the one who's ultimately in control. We've forgotten the one who's able to do all the things that you and I are not able to do. And so what ends up happening is we like the idea of prayer. We like talking about prayer. We like thinking about prayer. And we like it when other people pray. But functionally speaking, we rarely ever get down on our knees and we pray. And and what we're seeing right here, church, is it's got to be both. There's a paradox. Yes, God is totally and completely in control. However, in the middle of this thing, he's given us responsibility. And some of it's like, maybe it's not finances, but you're in the middle of this marital storm right now, which may have been brought on by the financial storm of earlier, or maybe it's the health storm, and someone in your family has been sick, or maybe it's the stress storm of everybody being piled into the exact same home at the exact same time. And what this means is that we bring those things to the Lord, and we say, Father, would you come right now, and would you bring peace into our marriage? Would you bring love back into our marriage? Would you restore the intimacy that we used to have right now? And at the exact same time, you take responsibility and you say, you know what? It may not just be their fault on the other side of this conversation. It may not just be God coming in and wreaking havoc in my family. There may be something in this thing for me. Father, would you help me, would you examine my heart? Would you let me see what it is I'm bringing to this table right now that's bringing such chaos and dysfunction into my home? Say, would you help me to repent? And you may need to stand up at the exact same time that you pray and say, you know what? In addition to my prayers, I need to take, I need to walk by faith and I need to ask forgiveness from the people that I've hurt. Or I may need to ask for the help from a life group that I've been engaging in. Or I may need to talk to the church and say, I need help with my marriage or a counselor or something like that. And what we're seeing right here, church, is it has always been both. Yes, he's totally and completely in control of everything. And at the exact same time, we have responsibility. And what we're seeing here, church, is there's nothing more practical than embracing this paradox when we're in the middle of the storm. I mean, church, think about this. Like, if you functionally live like everything's up to you, then how in the world are you not panicking right now? I mean, how in the world are we not freaking out every single day? I mean, who among us is able to say, yeah, I've got power over this storm. I'm able to control the wind and the waves. I'm able to control the lightning and the rain and the storms that are coming my way. Like who among us can say, uh, yeah, I'm able to control this pandemic and the ups and downs of this economy. I mean, church, hopefully one of the things that everyone is realizing right now, whether you're a part of a church or not, is that you and I are not in total and complete control. I mean, hopefully that's one of the things that we're realizing right now is that you and I do not control all the things we think that we control. And I understand that this may be making a lot of us feel very, very uncomfortable right now, but I hope we're realizing we're not in control of the economy. Like, we're not always in control of our money and our savings. Yes, we can make good decisions. Yes, we can contribute to a good economy. We can make good decisions. We can even participate in a good good economy. But, like, think about this. Like, even our president, who's fantastic at making money, is not able to control the ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows of an economy. You and I, we're not in complete control of our jobs. You can make yourself indispensable at work. You can try to do really, really, really good work. You can be very qualified. You can be well-educated in this thing. You can contribute to all kinds of factors that are going to typically work out really, really well. But a lot of really good, well-intentioned, hard-working people are being laid off right now because you and I are not in total and complete control of our jobs. We're not in complete control of our health. You can eat healthy, you can go to the gym and you can work out, but we're not in total and complete control of our health. 
We're not in complete control of what family we were born into or the amount of tragedy that we experience on a daily basis. But what he's showing us right here in this passage is there is a God who is in control. There is a God who is in control, and it is not you and I. And the beauty of the resurrection is that you and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, not only that he's willing to enter a storm like this with us, but he's also able to carry us through. Church, like that's what he's doing in the middle of the storm. People are asking, Lord, where are you in the middle of this thing? And what we're seeing right here is that he is right there with us, standing next to us in this boat, making us promises and doing different things, making sure that he's going to carry us through the, to the other side. Church, that's where he is. And so the reality is that you and I, we may not be able to understand the why. We may have all kinds of questions. Lord, what are you doing? What's it going to look like in the end? Why in the world would, 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 would this be happening in my life right now? We may not be able to understand the why. We may not always be able to understand where he's taking us in the end, which may be different from where you previously were before. However, the hope that we have today is that if you and I will continue to just hold on to him by faith, then he will carry you through and he will create something beautiful in the end. I mean, church, one of the things we have to see is that like, this is not Paul's first shipwreck. Like, this isn't the first time that he's gone down this path with the Father before. Second Corinthians chapter 11, he's going to say, three times I was shipwrecked, and I spent a day and a night in the open sea. Terrifying circumstances here. In other words, what he's saying is, I've been down this path before. And every single time, God has shown himself to be faithful. Like, it's why he's able to say in verse 25, men, keep your courage right now. In other words, like, keep holding on by faith. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I believe this is going to turn out exactly as God said that it would. Church, like, he knows the God who's in control. He knows the God who's in control. I mean, especially after the resurrection, like, he knows that this is a God who's done some of his most beautiful and profound work while hanging on a cross and walking out of a tomb alive. Like, he knows who this God is. He knows, he knows what he did for himself on the way to Damascus. Like, Paul was this hate-filled, murdering bigot when he met the resurrected Jesus Christ, and Jesus entered into the storm of his life and changed the course of his life forever. Like, he remembers, as a, as a, as a faithful Jew, he remembers Joseph's story from Genesis chapter 37 when he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he was raised and elevated in Potiphar's house to go on to become one of the most powerful rulers in all of Egypt. Like, he remembers that story. He remembers that years later, Joseph is going to develop a hunger relief program that's going to save hundreds of thousands of lives during a seven-year famine. All the while, he is praising God and giving glory to Yahweh in an otherwise godless nation. And as a well-educated Jew, Paul is going to remember this story, and he's going to remember that every single bit of Joseph's story began with a storm. Church, like, it all began when he was sold into slavery by his brothers, the people that were supposed to love him and care for him, and protect him. And said so they hated him so much that they sold him to the Israelites' enemy at the time. Like, who does that? I mean, he's going to remember that there was fear in Joseph's story, that there was terror, and that there was, that there was pain, and that there was betrayal. And to the God who is in control entered into that storm and turned it into something beautiful. I love how Joseph talks about this in Genesis chapter 50, but years later, he's going to have the opportunity to meet, see his brothers again. And he's going to say, what you guys meant for evil against me, what the enemy meant for evil against me, God meant for good in order to bring about this present result that many more people would live. Church, like that's what our God does. That's what our God does. He, he doesn't stay distant and far away. He enters into our storm. He carries us through it, and he creates beautiful things in the end. 
And I want to be very, very careful about what we're talking about right here because everything that happened to Joseph and everything that's happening today, being sold into slavery by brothers, people getting sick and dying and losing jobs and all the different fallout of things that are taking place to do, we are not saying that any of those things are good in and of themselves. Church, remember this, evil is always evil. It is never God's plan A, B, C, D, E, or F. Evil does not come from the Father. Evil is always evil. And one day still future, when Christ returns again, evil will be done away with once and for all. There's going to be no more crying, no more death, no more tears, and no more pain, because the old things will have passed away, and behold, new things will have come in. However, until that day comes, the way that he is still conquering evil today is by entering into our storms with us and by picking us up and carrying us through and then creating something beautiful in the end. Church, it's exactly what we see here in this story. I mean, this is the faithfulness of God from the beginning of the biblical story until the very end, but it's exactly what we see here in this story. So when the angel comes to Paul and he says, Paul, don't be afraid because none of you will be lost. Nevertheless, you will have to run aground on some island. In other words, what he's saying right here is that don't be afraid because none of you are actually gonna die. However, you will be shipwrecked. However, you will be in the middle of a storm for two weeks in a boat, in an ocean, with massive, massive waves, and with thunder and lightning all around you. And it's not going to go perfectly because you will be shipwrecked on an island. There's going to be a lot of fear there. And nevertheless, what we're seeing here in the story is that Paul's not panicking because he knows the God who's in control. And he knows the God who is with him in the middle of the storm. And so God does what he's always done from the very beginning to the end of the scripture. He comes and he creates something beautiful out of what began in a storm. We read about it in chapter 28, but sure enough, it's exactly as God said it would be. The ship wrecks and they are abandoned on an island. All we read about in chapter 28 is the natives are very kind. They're very hospitable. They come and they're feeding the crew. The sailors are taking care of them. And in the middle of that time, Paul's sitting around by a fire and there's this viper that jumps out of the fire and bites Paul on the hand, which normally would kill people in that time. They didn't have medicines and things like that that were very helpful. And so this happens, and everybody's expecting that Paul's going to pass away. But we know from the story that it's not what happened. God comes into this thing, and he immediately heals Paul's snake bite on his hand. And what happens is the natives are watching what's, everything that's taking place, and they're amazed at this. And they're going, who in the world is this God who's able to heal the venom of a snake bite? And so naturally, Paul gets up and he's like, let me tell you about this God. And what we assume from this text is that the, these people come to believe because just a little while later, they start bringing in the sick to be healed. And it simply says this in chapter 28, verse 9. It says, when all that happened, the rest of the sick on the island, they came and they were healed. And then Dr. Luke continues in the story in verse 10. And he says, they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with all the supplies that we need. And so one more time, church, what we're seeing here in the story is that what started with the storm, it ended with salvation and ended with healing for an entire people. I mean, years later, Paul's going to say it like this. He's going to summarize it and he's going to say, God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. In other words, like you may not be able to see where it is that he's taking you. And you may not be able to understand the why behind everything that's taking place. However, if you know the one who is in control, and you know the one who is with you there in the middle of the storm and in the middle of that boat, that you and I can rest a little easier today knowing that he will carry you through and he will create something beautiful in the end. You know, one of my favorite biographies growing up to read was the story of Corrie ten Boom. In my opinion, she's 
easily one of the great heroes of the Christian faith. And if you grew up in the church, then maybe you've heard a lot of her stories before. She is one of these, these heroes. She's written a lot of books, and we have a lot of her stories there. But I loved her story as a youth growing up, and I read it repeatedly over and over again because I love the strength of her faith, no matter how large the storms in her life got. And those storms were huge in her life. If you know anything about her story, Corey was a Dutch Christian who was very faithful in helping a lot of Jews escape Nazi Germany back in the day until she was caught and thrown into a concentration camp herself. And so she writes about these stories in one of her books, but uh, she talks about how humiliating of, of an experience it is. She talks about how filthy and dehumanizing the barracks were in which they lived for quite a long time. Um, she talks about how her sister was there too and how her sister would always come and say, Corey, we need to be thanking God and praising him for everything in our life. And she talks about these barracks that they lived in and how they were all infested by fleas. And every single night, these fleas would come in the middle of their, while they're trying to sleep and they would swarm her head. They would keep people from being able to sleep because there were so many of them. And they would bite them constantly. And so all the prisoners and everybody that was there, they'd have these bites all over their body that were itching and scratching all the time. And she said it was the most horrible thing in the world. But she talks about how her sister was so encouraging this thing. She says, Corey, we have to be people that are grateful for everything in our life, and we need to praise him and thank him, even for the fleas in our life. And she talks about how, how difficult this was. She's like, how in the world can I praise God and thank him for the fleas that are in my life? She thought that was impossible. So she goes on and she keeps telling the story, and she says that a few days later, she's secretly meeting with a small group of people in the barracks, and they're uh, having a small uh, private worship gathering in their place. And when all of a sudden it realized, or it dawned on her that the guards never came into their barracks in the middle of their meetings, and which is very, very significant because if the guards were to crash these small worship gatherings, then inevitably they would come and they would confiscate the Bibles that they had, they would burn them, and then they would likely beat the women, if not kill them in the end. And so she was going, this is weird. Like, how, why, why did the guards not ever come into our barracks? And so she brings it up to the small group and they start talking about it. And that's when they realized that the reason no one ever came into those barracks was because the barracks were so filthy and they were so infested with fleas that no one in their right mind would ever want to come in. And so again, she writes about it and she simply says, that's when I realized that even in the fleas, God was still at work. And church, I love that story because I can't help but think that right now some of us are in the storm right now and your, your bed, your life is infested with fleas. And you're having a hard time saying, Lord, what in the world are you doing in the fleas that are in my life right now, this storm that I'm in right now? And I just want to come and I want to remind you that God has not stopped working in the middle of this storm. Church, he's not stopped working. There's a God who is in control, and the God who is in control is the same God who's come and he's entered into the storm with you. And you may not be able to see where he's taking you. You may not be able to like, you may not like the island detour that he may have you on. You may not be able to understand the why behind everything that's taking place right now. However, if you will just simply keep holding on, then church, the hope is that he will carry you through and he will create something beautiful in the end. And so church, I wanna invite you to bow with me as we pray for that right now. And I wanna pray for some of you right now that are in the middle of this storm. But Father, we do love you, God. And we do thank you that you're not a God who is far away. You're not a God who is distant and unknowable in the middle of these storms. You're not sitting on a cloud laughing at the different storms that we are in. You are a God full of compassion. You are a God full of power and full of love who comes and enters into these storms with us. And Father, you give us this hope that you enter in and that you do things. You carry us through this and you create beautiful things in the end. So Father, I pray right now for the person who is in 
right now a very serious financial storm. And Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would provide for them in the middle of this financial storm. Maybe that they need to come and they need to ask for help and the church can some come around and we can help for a little bit. But Father, would you come and would you provide for them in the middle of this financial storm that they're in? Father, for the person right now that's dealing with a very serious marital storm, maybe the tension and the strife at home is ripping them apart. Maybe it was happening long before this pandemic ever took place. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would come, that you would enter into the middle of the storm with them, that they would feel and know your presence beyond a shadow of a doubt. And Father, I pray that you would restore peace again to these broken marriages. And I pray right now, Jesus, that you would breathe love and life into these broken marriages once again. And God, that you would stimulate this humility in each person and this, this sense of responsibility to own the things that we need to own and to be able to make peace once again. But Father, would you come in and would you be present with these couples in the middle of these storms? And God, would you create something beautiful in the end? Father, for the storm of loneliness, I want to pray for someone right now in Jesus' name who is lonely, who is in isolation right now, who is feeling the weight of not having a loved one with them right now. And Father, I want to pray for that person. In Jesus' name, would you enter that storm that they would feel your presence with them right now, that they would know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, and Father, that your presence would be sufficient to save them in the stormy season that they are in right now. So Father, enter into the person who is lonely and feeling isolated right now. Lord Jesus, for the person who has never known you at all, for the person whose curiosity has been recently piqued, for the person who's been feeling you drawing them near for quite a while, but they've been resistant for a long time. Father, I pray that that resistance would continue no more. In Jesus' name, would you break those things? Would you give that person faith to come in and to receive you by faith, to know that you are a God who will be with them right now, not only in the storms, but in the good times and in the bad times, now and for all of eternity. And if that is you and you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what, I've never been a believer in Jesus Christ. I've never received him by faith. I've never considered myself a Christian. Like I've never clinged to his grace. I've never even understood what that was. If that's you right now, then I would just want to suggest that God has been wooing you into relationship with him right now. And that today is the day that you need to cross that line of faith and say yes to Jesus in a way that you've never said yes before. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we talk about is very, very simple. God loved humanity, and in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, and he created it good. We messed it all up when we chose to sin and rebel against him. We brought sin and death and separation from God into this world. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God in his infinite love had a plan. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to enter into our storm and to live the sinless life, the sinless, perfect, holy life that you and I were never able to live. And then he willingly went to the cross and he suffered and he bled and he died as a substitute for you and for me because that's what our sin deserves. And so he took care of that penalty for us. And three days later, he walked out of that tomb alive, proving that he is the son of God, proving he has power over life and death and sin. And he walked out of that tomb alive and he offers you and me this free gift of salvation to any and all who will simply come to him in genuine faith and believe. Paul's gonna say in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if that's you today, I want to encourage you, today is the day to say yes to Jesus. And to say, I just want to encourage you, you can pray with this with me right now, and you can say, Jesus, I believe in you, that you are Lord. And I believe that you died on the cross as a substitute for my sins. And I believe that three days later, God 
God the Father raised you from the dead and you walked out of the tomb alive. And so God, I am trusting in Jesus, I am asking that you would cleanse me and forgive me of all of my sins, that you would come into my life and make me brand new. And church, the reality is if you've come to him in that genuine faith, then you can have confidence and you can have hope today that not only will he be with you right now in the bad times and in these storms, he will be with you in the good and in the bad. He'll be with you in the present and in the future. And so, Father, we do love you and we thank you this day, God. We trust you in the middle of this storm. Would you draw near to us right now? And would you make yourself known, God? Would you keep adding to your number daily those who are being saved? And God, would you keep making beautiful things in the end? Father, we do love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' mighty and holy name we pray. Amen and amen.